good. You want to do video or just audio? Just audio. I know what you look like. I have a idealized version of you in my head. All right. Okay. Do you have one of me in your head? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And it's <laughs> no, uh, that took too long. Teaching... <laughs> <laughs> well, I was trying to think. It's uh, it's you teaching um, at the front of the room in uh, for one of those human factors classes, like twenty years ago or whenever it was. And, um, yeah, that's, that's how I remember. Yeah. Skinny, lean muscle, six pack. That was me, right? Hey everybody, Todd Conklin, pre-accident investigation podcast. How are you in the midst of all this crap that we're living through? Gah, holy cow. It's it's just, it is a study in uncertainty. It's amazing. I was telling somebody the other day, it's, you can't really make a plan much more than about a day out because if you get much more than a day out, I can almost guarantee the plan is going to have to change. It's that, it's that kind of world we're living in that's creating just an amazing amount of both opportunity and some pain, I think. Uh, and and a lot that goes on in between. It's it's been a lesson in just imagining how to live in a world filled with very obvious variability. How was that? Does that sound good? Does that sound does that sound like I made it up because I just kind of made it up? But it's true. I hope you're doing good. I'm checking in with people just because it's time to check in. So monitor. What's going on? And ask this question. It's a good question. It's a little creepy to ask, but ask it anyway. How is this stress manifesting itself in your life? And it force functions you to think about, what am I doing differently? Did I have 900 cookies last night while watching TV on the couch? You know, am I not exercising? Exercising too much, which is the problem I have, of course. That There's a pretty good bet that this chronic exposure to this level of uncertainty, so much so you can't even make a plan, it has some consequence. It's it's having some impact on you. And it'll be interesting to see what that impact is. My my hope always is that we bounce forward out of this better than ever before. We come out rock stars or rock star-like, rock star, rock star-esque, I think is the word. I, that's what I meant to say, rock star-esque. <laughs> That sounds fancy, doesn't it? But check in on you, check in on your family, and check in on the people around you. And just make sure you're building opportunities to build community within appropriate boundaries, social distancing, masks, et cetera, et cetera. And you're also being kind to each other and and really using this as an opportunity to show what's best about you. Because we know what's worst about you. We see that all the time. Just turn on the damn news. You can, you can learn what's worst about people. That's uh, easy. But let's let's see if we can learn what's best about people. That's a little sappy. Sorry, I didn't want to get too sappy. I'm a little sappy, though, because today's podcast is one of my dear friends who I've known for a bazillion, a long time, actually. And, uh, and I think you're going to find this podcast remarkably interesting. So it was about seven years ago, I think it was exactly 2013 was when this event happened. 
the, the event is called in the business the Yarnell Hill Fire. And it took 19 firefighters that were serving on the Granite Mountain Hotshot crew, and their lives were lost. And they were lost in uh, fighting a, a wildland fire. And it was a horrible event. They're always horrible, but this one was especially horrible. There was a movie made on it. I mean, there was much going on here, as with all events. That event's investigation was led by a guy named Brad Mayhew. And if you don't know Brad, you're going to get a chance to meet him for sure. But I've known Brad for a bazillion years. In fact, uh, the podcast opens with Brad and I connecting to actually do this in this uh, conversation. Really, we've known each other since we were young children, little babies, tiny babies, tiny little human factor babies. That's what we were. And Brad's got a, a series of books that he's created around this. And we're going to talk about that because it's worth talking about. But to get into this, I think one of the most important things to share with you is really what it's like to be an investigator on a major event like this. And that's why I had Bill Hoyle on. And and I, I talked to people who do these investigations because the snapshot of what is going on in their head and what they're thinking is is quite significant. It's it's really interesting. But Brad and I aren't going to talk much about the Yarnhill Hill fire because that's what his uh, his new series of his expedition of books is talking about. And the first one is called Origins, and it's available now actually on Amazon. And um, it's it's really the discussion of what it was like to do the investigation and what it was like after the investigation was over that I think you'll find most interesting. And that's what we got to talk about. It's a great little podcast. It's just a couple of friends sitting around talking. So don't expect a huge formality. I don't think there's going to be a lot of formality, but I can tell you it was meaningful and it got a bit emotional and it should that's not a problem at all, but I think it makes for a, a learnable and teachable moment for us, and it really it allows us to understand more what's going on during an investigation, and most importantly, what's going on after you've done an investigation. So that's the pod. I hope you're doing well, and thanks for listening. Um, it's quite remarkable how many of you people do listen and each one of you is completely appreciated because if I, if I know nothing, I know this having the opportunity to take a bit of your time to listen to what we talk about is pretty special. And I'm glad you can find some time to do that. I think this one will have huge payoffs. So without any more fanfare, let's listen to this conversation. Brad and I are going to chat about life love and investigation uh, I'm Brad Mayhew and uh, in a nutshell basically uh, I was going to college studying history wanted to be Indiana Jones that was my dream and uh, my senior year 9/11 happened and and I had to find 
a new path that, that felt would feel to me like it was serving my country the best I could. And I thought about joining the military, becoming a cop or becoming a firefighter. And there was already cops and, and military guys in the family. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll be a firefighter. Um, I had friends that were hot shots and I wanted to, to do what they had done and got fortunate enough eventually to end up on a hotshot crew in Southern California. Um, was really interested in, you know, as a young new firefighter, your whole purpose in life is really to be, you know, like the best, the best firefighter you can be. You know, that, that was my whole focus. So I was really interested in studying fire behavior, tactics, and there was this, this sticking point where there was a limit to how good you could get. Um, and one of our, you know, most senior guys, our retired superintendent, uh, came over after work one day and was drinking a beer with, with the fellas. And, you know, I was asking him what his thoughts were. Um, you know, this guy was, you know, this ultra superhuman figure. And he said, Brad, you've got to study human factors. If, if you really want to get, take this to a new level, you have to study human factors. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't care because that was kind of the soft, to me, that was the sort of soft stuff that I avoided in college. You know, I wanted to study history and ancient languages and archaeology and dig in the dirt someday. And here's somebody telling me I got to study sociology and psychology. And I ignored him promptly and had another beer. <laughs> and, uh, and, and a few months later, I realized he was right. And that was the beginning of this journey for me that um, it really transformed my, the rest of my life. So um, got into studying human factors, building human factors, you know, training programs for other fire crews that it, it kind of took off in the in the hotshot world, and then um, had the opportunity to participate in accident investigations, which was not, again, one of those things that I really um, didn't want to do. Uh, this, this is a young firefighter mentality, but I didn't see I mean, this is probably not like a, an appropriate thing to say, but I just didn't see what I didn't I didn't think my attitude as a young guy was it's my job and my crew's job to keep ourselves safe. What what's the agency going to do? And, and now I say that it doesn't make sense to think about improve. It doesn't make sense that I was so cynical about the importance of improving the system. But I was as a very young guy. Uh, so I didn't see the point even of doing investigations. I know that doesn't, that isn't logical, but that's how I thought. Anyway, I got drawn into some investigations and had the opportunity to do some really, really meaningful work that was personally meaningful and professionally. Um, and then ended up serving as the lead investigator on the Yarnell Hill fire um, in 2013 and felt that we had done what we came to do. And about a few years later, you know, I was back working as a firefighter uh, and I came to the conclusion that we really hadn't learned what we need to learn from this event. I think that's the most tactful way to, to say that succinctly. Um, and that started this new mission that I call learning from Granite Mountain. Um, and that's been the center of my world for the last the last three years. And so you started writing one book. What what made you think? This will be a series of smaller books, not one gigantic, you know, tome of information. 
what led you in that direction? Because I think that's really a clever idea. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you think it's clever. <laughs> I, do, I really do. I mean, I think, I think it's, um, it makes it attainable. It builds on itself like, like an accident would, right? I mean, it's, you have a chance to build context in the first, I'm, I'm guessing, because I haven't, I haven't seen the books, you know, two through 94. So, but you, you can build context. You can actually give information in a way that you could almost reconstruct some of the mindset. I, it seems really an interesting way to do it just between you and I. So, well, there's a couple of reasons. The, the pure, like, writing reason is that this started off, I really, when I started, I thought I'd basically do something like an addendum. I, I wouldn't have called it this, and it's, I'm not doing any of this in any sort of official capacity. This is a, you know, one-man kind of adventure, and I'm 100% responsible for every mistake that is made in this process. But um, I really was thinking in terms of just building something like an in little accident investigation report. You know, we'll go in, correct some pieces of, you know, maybe some misunderstandings that people have about the accident, round up a few recommendations and some insights, and it'll be this short little, short and sweet little, you know, little report. We get it done in a few months and then hit the road and talk about it. What I discovered, what I came to see was that the issues that have emerged after this tragedy touch everything that we care about in the fire service. From human factors, to interagency dynamics, to individual judgment decision-making, to how we investigate, to how we deal with critical incident stress issues, all of these huge issues. And then what I came to see was it wasn't just that there was like a simple bullet point recommendation. It was, hold on, we're looking at these things in the wrong way, and it's time for us to take the next step. And in some cases, I have a pretty clear idea what I think that next step should be or could be. <laughs> but then I realized that, that what really matters is inspiring other firefighters and other thinkers and other leaders who are out there right now who have answers, have um, the skill, they have the energy in themselves now to bring that to bear on these problems. It's really my role is to equip them and empower them to lead and innovate and offer what they have to offer. And, and what I really saw, what I began to see is, it appeared to me that our struggle isn't just that, okay, we have this one piece of the system that we need to fix, or even we have these hundred things that we just need to fix this, 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 this. It's we need to take a step back and look at this in a new way, in a fresh way. We, need, we may need some new paradigms, and I think I have something to offer in terms of specifically where I think we could go, but more importantly is how do I equip and inspire others? And so, and so that was like this major shift in how I approached what I was doing. Um, and I kind of wrote it all up and had this nice, you know, very, I thought very clear, you know, well-written sort of report style approach. Um, and I started working with a, with a different editor who kind of, you know, sat me down and said, listen, this is, this is great stuff. And how effective do you think you're going to be laying out your information in this way? 
and we kind of talked about it. And he really persuaded me that what needed to happen, or he was part, he was one of the influences that persuaded me that if we want to serve the people we're trying to serve, we need to figure out how to take them on a journey, right? We're trying to take them from one place and introduce something new and take them there so they can experience it. And, and so as soon as you, as soon as you take that approach, it's like, well, I can't just rush through a bunch of bullet points that, that concisely and clearly make the point I want to make. I got to show you how do we get there and what does that mean for you and what can you do with it? And so that, so suddenly we went from kind of a little book to kind of a longer book to how the heck do you do that? And, and so we reconceptualize it as, well, wait a minute, let's just take, let's take each of these pieces that we can see and let's turn that into an experience for the reader and let's don't call it a book. We actually call this series now it's an expedition and we're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to start hiking together and I'm going to show you what I've seen and what I know and, you know, some, some adventures, you know, back, back country, you know, and, um, and, and the whole intent is for the people who want to go on this journey, who are ready to go on this journey, you're going to see your world in a new way and you're going to see yourself in a new way. Um, and, and you're going to be empowered and equipped to take action. And the reason why I know that's going to happen is because our history is the history of firefighting in America, the history of the American Fire Service is that you have a problem, you have a group of firefighters that look at that problem, roll up their sleeves and start taking action, and they end up doing something good. And if you look at our major tragedies through the history of firefighting, in particular, just to focus, the history of wildland firefighting, we had major tragedies um, for the last century, and each of those tragedies prompted a group of firefighters to find ways to really transform the profession to take it to the next level so we just keep getting better and better and better and the fact that that has not happened yet after the Yarnell Hill fire I think is I don't I, I when I started I took that as well there's something wrong here something's totally wrong here now I see it as no 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 we have what we need we are what we need we can do this we can get there we just need some new tools. We need some new, a new way of thinking. Um, and the people whom I'm trying to serve, you know, are, are <laughs> some of us are a little, you know, have attention, <laughs> have problems, you know, have short attention spans. That's a good and way so to I say figured, that. Well, yeah, it's a polite way to say it. And so I figured, you know, if I try to, to, to dump some 3,000 page tome on people, you know, what are you going to do with it? I don't know, but, but how it is now is these are short, sweet little books. You can read them in about an hour. Uh, that's the vision, at least. And you can stash in your cargo pocket. You can take it with you on a fire. You know, I remember so many days, you know, sitting on some some little wildland fire where nothing's happening. There's nothing you can do and pulling out a book and, and reading it. And sometimes there was practical stuff, and sometimes it was, you know, I don't know, Harry Potter or something, you know, something playful. And I, I envision people reading these books and, you know, being out in the middle. And so you got to make them small enough for, for folks to do that and to take them on a journey and to let them digest each stage of this journey one step at a time and to accomplish something. 
when you get to the end of the book, you, you achieve something. So that was kind of the vision. It strikes me that you're also kind of describing the way you do investigation. I think so. Yeah, I think so. And, and in a way you could say this is, yes, I agree with that. (laughs) Well, if I had to, if I had to describe it, I would say it's, it's an investigator looking at how investigations cause positive change. I mean, or can cause positive change or should cause positive change. I mean, I think that that's what I heard you say. It just sounds super interesting. I, I would almost, I think I might add to that. It's an investigator looking at how your work could cause positive change. Minus the usual constraints on your time and usual organizational and normal social and political constraints that go with doing an investigation. This is just kind of me going, okay, we completed the official investigation and now it's been seven years. What can we do? And so there's a lot of things that you you really can't do in a formal capacity that you can't get done in a two month or three month or two year investigation that, you know, when you have the time to spread your wings and question your assumptions and talk to different people, you go, well, what, what would happen if we tried this, you know, and a lot of it doesn't work, but I'm trying to share with readers the things that I found that did work. So that sounds, I mean, that's just fascinating. It's, so I know something, and that is that generally people are really, really interested in investigations. They're interested in how investigations happen and how we get to do investigations and having the opportunity. And it is being an investigator, especially lead investigator for the Yarnell Hill Fire, is kind of a sacred duty, small s, not large s, but it's it's a it's really it's I don't know another better I can't think of a better word than sacred. It's it's there's there's, there's a tremendous amount of responsibility and and it's an important task to have the opportunity in an unencumbered way to think through that process and to think through your process that's that's important for you it's important for people to read that sounds it sounds great how do how do we get them how how are they available the so book 1 is available right now on Kindle, on Amazon. Gotcha. Um, I have not 100% locked down the schedule for when each future book will be released. Um, But we're going to do it as quick as we can. Yeah, and that's fine. Um, I mean, we can can follow up and people can, I mean, I think it'll build its own interest. So I wouldn't worry too much about locking down the schedule. And right now, during the current pandemic, Schedules seem to be something that are very, very, very fungible. They change a lot. Yeah. Yes, I have found that things that I thought were going to take a couple days take a couple weeks, and there's no one thing you can point to. It's just every kind of detail here. And I don't know how much of that is, you know, that this is publishing, which is a new world for me, and how much of that is uh, just – some of what's happening in the world right now. But in answer to your question, book one is available as a Kindle on Amazon right now, um, number one. Number two, 
we are working like like madmen to get um, the paperback version of book one up on Amazon. By the time this airs, it should be available or at least available for pre-order, so it'll get shipped as soon as as it drops. Um, and we should be getting books two and three up for pre-order too. And then finally, the most important thing is if you go to my website, it's firelinefactors.com. And there's a bunch of articles that I wrote for Firehouse Magazine. The old, the other investigations that I've done, the Yarnell Hill Fire investigation is up there. Human factors articles, you know, that's all available. And that'll be a good resource for finding the books as well as getting ready to launch a, a, an email newsletter as well as getting ready to launch my own podcast. So it's all, it's all a really exciting time for me because, you know, I feel like I've been, you know, secret, not, not secretly, but, but withdrawn and trying to build all these things and to finally bring them to the world is very exciting. And so there's, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. There's a comment in book one about how watching me try to figure out technology and publishing is caveman slapstick. I hope that some of your audience will smile with amusement at the mistakes that that I will be making here, but but the intent is to offer what I can um, to you. Between you and I, I think this is a good. I was pretty worried about you after the investigation, and I think this is a really very effective way to manage this post investigation PTSD and path forward. I think it's this is really healthy for you. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. Really. Tell me how you, tell me how you were worried. I don't think you shared that with me before. Um, it, I I realized, uh, especially when we met at, what was that? uh, 29 Palms. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever that place. What's the name of that park? Uh, Joshua tree. Joshua tree. That's what I I just need to remember the U2 album and I, I would have probably got there. Uh, it's, yeah. it seemed like you were really feeling low and that the investigation had had really dramatic impact on you and you were seeking desperately to kind of recover from it. Wow. That, that's fascinating. I don't, Wow. You know, it's 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 interesting that, that you say that. I in in building all of this, I, I started. I reached out to other other folks that had led other investigations, um, and almost all of them, basically, that if it was a big investigation, their lives kind of fell apart after it. Yeah. Um, and consist. I mean, you know, suddenly they felt their agency turned against them, their family fell apart, you know, just all these different problems. And the consistent advice that folks gave me was just walk away from this Yarnell thing. Don't, don't, don't look back. Don't touch it. You got to drop it. That's, and that was how they recovered. And in my own case, I felt that, um, and a, you know, who we'll see, we'll see what's, We'll see. We'll see how it all shakes out. But for me, I felt that you know the most meaningful thing that I could do is find a way to make this meaningful. That that would be the most meaningful that thing that I could do. You sound better. You sound a million times better than you sounded in Joshua Tree. I was really worried about you. 
Yeah, thank you for saying that, Todd. I appreciate you saying that. And I would add that I would add not only do I not think that's what's best for well, I don't know what's best for other investigators. It sure as hell is not best for the communities we're trying to serve. Because what happens is you get these individuals and small teams that are the world's experts on some issue or collection of issues. And they're the only people that are going to be the experts because nobody can redo the investigation or the, the interviews that happen the day after. You know, they're, they're, So that knowledge then immediately disappears because it's part of our professional candor or whatever you want to call it, a professional etiquette that we don't, you know, we don't regard it as appropriate and polite to go out and talk about this thing outside of an official capacity when you did a job within a, in, within an official capacity. We don't think that's appropriate. We need to get over that because, again, you know, this accident, if you look at the history of what evolved after this accident, there's a lot. There is a cascading, there are cascading tragedies of trauma leading to trauma leading to trauma at a community level and a, a huge set of those are things that I look at and I go, boy, there's just misinformation that got circulated and we didn't have a system that could fix that. And there is a part of me that I feel like you know, I wasn't involved. I didn't know all these things that were going on in the community, but but we got to do better. We got to find a way to connect the community with the expertise over time. Uh, and even though I don't have all the answers, I think there is something that could be done. And there should be a, a different model where there's a long-term relationship and long-term growth. You know, learning is active and it's interactive and it unfolds over time. And we need to find a model that where we can do that and just, Hey, I'm going to show up for a couple months and do my best, write a report, throw it over the, the uh, wall. And, you know, until the end of time, you guys just have to deal with it. That is the model that's in place now. Uh, whether anybody designed it that way on purpose, that's pretty much how it is. And I don't, I don't think that's, you know, I don't think that's our most important stakeholder is the next generation of firefighters. And if you measure it by them, if you measure it by how much good does that do for the rookie who's starting tomorrow, how much good have we done for them? You can see that that model of learning that we have in place now is not serving the people who we should be most concerned about serving. So, And that, my friends, is the podcast. That's the conversation that Brad and I enjoyed with one another. And I, um, I'm glad you listened to it. It was really um, it was a big lesson for me. I learned a lot talking to Brad and Joshua Tree. I learned that the post-traumatic harm that exists in an accident carries its way through to the investigation team. And I think I knew that academically, but I don't think I really realized that practically. And Brad helped me realize that by showing me how much he was struggling and and how the struggle was pretty significant. And it wasn't just a struggle of emotions, although there were lots of emotions. It was the struggle of helplessness and the feeling that 
you've learned so much, but the agency or the organization or the company or whoever you work for is not willing to hear the truth or doesn't have the ability to hear the truth or can't hear the truth. I don't know. Those are my words, but that's, that's what I saw. That's the pod. Thank you for your time. Learn something new every single day. Bet you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. It's important right now. And for goodness sakes, be safe. <laughs>